I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hey, everybody. Welcome aboard for another episode with Lieutenant Joe. So let me see. While you're driving in your car or you're sitting at home or you're sitting in the backyard or you're in the bedroom or you're wherever you are, wherever you are listening to uh, Lieutenant Joe, turn, turn your head to the left. Now turn your head to the right. See, I'm trying to figure out how you're going to look in your mask that the uh, Biden administration is about ready to demand that we all start to wear again. So we started talking about this in a recent get-together. Uh, are the masks coming back? Well, we're seeing stories now about masks every day. There's a mask here. There's a university. There's a hospital. People are talking about it. We're starting to see on social media. I love it. On social media, I'm seeing a lot of these um, these pop-up posts where people say, uh, whatever happens next, don't comply. Because they're going to they're gonna drive it right towards us. There's no way to slow this down. Have you ever heard of Alpha-Gal syndrome, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, Alpha-Gal syndrome, AGS is what it's known as. It's a meat allergy. Uh, you get allergic to meat, right? Red meat, all kinds of meat, I suppose. It's a, it's a blood-borne tick disease from ticks again. So now we got Lyme's disease. Now we got ticks boring into us and giving us Alpha-Gal syndrome. Well, Alpha-Gal syndrome can cause um, rising blood pressure and it can also cause death. So we're starting to hear about, uh, you know, this concern about all of these, uh, these diseases that are going to get us again. And then we're hearing about this rise in the COVID, uh, a new, a new uh, offshoot of the COVID. And that's where all the conversation about going back to masks is coming from. And, and what have we said here before? Just because you hear a story, just because you hear... A reasoning for things doesn't mean that that's the actual reason. Most of the things we get in the media and most of the things we get from government, uh, from anybody, is messaging. Right? Everybody has messaging, don't they? Everybody wants you to know something. So when I teach interview skills and I teach people how to conduct interviews and how to do things when you're talking with other people, how to get from point A to point B, one of the things I, I say is tell them what you want them to know. Now, that's a, that's a good piece of advice for anybody uh, that's trying to get a message across. Tell them what you want them to know. Make it simple and understandable so that we can, uh, we can get our message out and people receive our message the way we sent it. Because that's one of the biggest problems people have when they speak or they message about anything, whether it's a product or a birthday party or anything. You might have in your head what you want to say, but the way you say it doesn't always come out the way you had intended. Or you may say it correctly, and the person that hears it or receives the message doesn't uh, receive it the way you intended, and that causes a miscommunication. We have them all the time. So one of those examples that you can look at and see where does that actually happen. When we first started texting each other and emailing, uh, there was a lot of people, myself included, that decided when something was really important, I would put it in capital letters 
right? Did you ever do that? Because it was really important. And the other person didn't take it as important. They took it as you were yelling at them. Why are you yelling at me? Why are you yelling? So we've had to learn to change our communication uh, aspects. And when we text and when we email to make sure we convey the right message. Now, I know there's talk to text, right? Do you ever see that talk to text on your phone? I use that a lot. And the problem with it is you might talk out a sentence. Hey, Bob, this is Joe. Can we meet for lunch tomorrow? And I see that pop up on my screen. But between the time I see it and the time I hit the send button, maybe the spell check in there, the automatic spell check, the spell ahead or whatever they call the program, decided that I didn't mean lunch. I meant punch. And when I hit the button, it goes out as, hey, Frank, maybe I'll see you tomorrow for a punch, right? Communication is very important. Messaging is all important. So when we see these stories starting to pop up on the news, when we see concerns about a rise in the, uh, in the virus, in the COVID, it's, it's, it, there's a new variant and it's coming out and it's, it's causing this and that. And you start to see those, that's messaging. And that messaging is preparing you for the next set of uh, shutdowns, the next set of mandatory masking, because I saw another uh, social media meme, which I thought was pretty good. The mask was never about science. It was about compliance, right? Remember the people screaming, why don't you mask up? You're trying to kill me. You're going to kill me. And the, and the one I loved the most, and it was meant to be funny, um, but there was this really very, very heavy set woman who obviously unhealthy. She was smoking a cigarette. She's riding one of those scooters. And she was riding up to somebody who didn't have a mask on. She's screaming, you're going to kill me. You're going to kill my health. Why don't you mask up? You know, and the whole, the whole thing that made it funny is that obviously this woman's not doing anything healthy in her life. But you, not wearing a mask, are going to hurt her health, right? Well, I, I, I opened up joking around asking you to look around to see how you're going to look in your mask. Are you going to comply? Are you going to comply? The president now has asked for more money for a new vaccine, one that works this time. Now, we talked about this recently, one that works, which is a way of admitting that the original vaccines didn't prevent COVID, didn't prevent you from getting it, didn't prevent you from spreading it, didn't prevent anything. But it was still mandatory, wasn't it? This RMNA or MNRA or whatever the hell it's called vaccine. And now we're seeing, don't you see, have you seen a, a huge number of these young men and women athletes that are just dropping dead at 19, 20 years old? They said there was a huge number of deaths in the world's soccer population because of this vaccine, right? Because the, the RMNA or MNRA, whatever the hell it is, is not natural to the body. And people are, well, we, we do know there is heart uh, conditions. We do, we do see young people with heart conditions. Um, I know some adults who were perfectly healthy and they, they followed along. They went and got their vaccine like they were told. And then they had heart conditions. They had all kinds of problems. Lots of young people we're seeing all the time with all kinds of health-related problems because of this vaccine. Well, the president, our President Biden, is out there saying now he wants a new vaccine that he can mandate that everyone take. So that comes back to the question, are you going to comply? 
are you going to stand by this time when they tell you your kids can't go to school if they don't take this shot? You can't come to work if you don't take this shot. Are you going to comply again? Are you going to take another shot, another experimental medication, another thing? just so that you can go to work? Or are we all going to stand up this time and say, no, we're not. We're not going to do that. I don't know. That's one of the things that uh, we see coming on the And I see it coming soon because I think it is absolutely connected to the upcoming election cycle. Because if I can control you, if I can control that you have to wear a mask, you have to get a vaccine, it does a couple of things. Number one, you know it's going to clearly divide people. You're going to see many sheeple you know, the sheepy people who will just do whatever they're told and go along to get along. Uh, they'll believe everything that comes out of the news, even though we see the news is fake news for the most part. We see it's biased news. We see it's political, politically driven for the most part. Uh, we see all these things. We see these scientists lie to us. You know, uh, the people on the, on the Internet are, are very clever. And I saw one the other day and said, um, a group of scientists... Uh, let me see if I can get this right. A group of scientists uh, completely agree with whoever is willing to pay them. Now, this is a bastardization of what science is supposed to be. Science, you know, follow the science, is supposed to be about we trust our doctors. We trust our scientists to tell us the truth. We trust them to say this could be dangerous, but here are the benefits. This could be safe, but here are the benefits, whatever it is. When they shut down doctors who had a different point of view, which right now there's lots of different people who will tell you the best way to treat um, high blood pressure. There's lots of consensus between lots of doctors. There's certain you can do. And there's also other things that doctors, that some doctors say you can do. Heart conditions. There's things, there's different ways to treat. That's why they call it a practice. You know, they're, they have a practice of medicine and they're learning and it's, it's a learning curve. All of these other diseases, there's experimental ways to, to fight them. There's all kinds of uh, tried and true methods, but it's always come down to you and your doctor figuring out what's best for you. And then you do that. Well, with COVID, we all saw that there was no discussion there were no multiple opinions. There was no you talking to your doctor and deciding what was best for you. There was, nope, take the shot. You have to take the shot or you can't come to work. Take the shot. It's going to prevent you from getting it. Take the shot. You won't kill other people. Take the shot. Take the shot. Take the shot. And it turns out it did none of that, but you were forced to do it. You were forced to do it. Many people lost their jobs. They lost their abilities to go to school. They lost their ability to participate in life. They lost their businesses because they didn't shut down. Right Now, you have to say the impetus for it, obviously, was to keep us safe from this disease that when it first popped onto the scene um, was killing lots of people. It was. It was very strong, and it, it did kill a lot of people. It killed specific people. It killed elderly people who had and people with compromised immune systems and people with uh, comorbidities, things that... that you know, they're not healthy to begin with. And then this disease came along and took them out. We saw that for children. It really didn't take out the children. It didn't take out healthy adults. It took out people who were sickly or had underlining health issues. But to make everybody take an experimental vaccine or they would lose their job, this was first and foremost 
a power grab. You will do what you're told. You will wear the mask, even though masks really don't do a lot for you. They don't. You know, the paper mask we all wear, as long as you got a mask on, you could wear a homemade mask. You could wear a crocheted mask. doesn't matter. You could wear any kind of mask you want, as long as you put on a mask, like we told you to. So that's where that question comes. Are you going to comply the next time around? Are you going to let them do it again? Are you going to let them change everything about how we vote that leads to corruption? And we talked about that in a previous uh, episode. Go look it up. I don't want to rehash it all over again. But once you start to change the rules and you mandate people have to do things, then you have an opportunity to change things, change outcomes, change the rules, manipulate, cheat, so to speak. So are you going to allow that to happen? It's a question you need to start thinking about and talking over your kitchen table with your family. You know, talk to your kids. This kind of caught us by surprise. I had a, I had a son, uh, my son Jack, going off to college. And he was the fourth child heading off to school. And they were like, you have to mask up, you have to mask up, you have to take a vaccine, take a vaccine, take a vaccine. And Kathleen and I were very, very concerned about the vaccine. Uh, we had listened to doctors who were experts in the field saying the mRNA is not safe. It's not good. It causes heart conditions in young men. It's causing all kinds of problems. It's not really effective. But you have to take it or you can't go to campus. You'll wear a mask or you can't come to campus. And my son, who was 18, heading off to college, and it was the beginning of his life. It was a school he really wanted to go to. He tried really hard to go to. And he came to me and he said, Dad, I've looked it over. I've thought about it. And I decided that I don't want to stay home for uh, a year and wait it out. I don't want to put my life on hold. I'm going to get the shot. Now, I could have uh, stepped in and said, no, you're not getting no shot. But the reality is he's 18. And he went and got the shot and one booster because the school demanded he get the shot and a booster. And to this day, I feel very, very uncomfortable with the fact that he did. Now, he hasn't had any problems, but that doesn't mean we won't have a problem next year. And I know there's millions of young people out there who did the same things for the same reasons. So this is where it comes down to your decision. We have a little time now, right? They're gearing us up. We're starting to hear the stories about the mask, the mask, the mask. The coronavirus is coming back coming back. We still don't know where it came from. Uh, let's think about that. Uh, I'm convinced. I'm convinced based on my experience in life, my experience in the world. No, I'm not a doctor. But I'm convinced based on my experience of the world that it clearly came from Wuhan. It came from the lab and it was a military, uh, militarized virus that got out. Now we're finding out Dr. Fauci, who had nothing to do with it, was paying. He lied. He lied to Congress. He's not being held accountable. He lied to all of us. They were paying for gain of function. Now, I have said many times before, if the doctors tell me that doing gain of function experimenting is important to protect us from things, okay, I'm not a doctor. I trust the experts in the field to say that, okay, we have to do this for these reasons. And then, well, if that's the best choice, you do it. They lied to us. They're still lying to us. How come there hasn't been a commission, a blue ribbon commission to find out where this virus came from? Well, you see how all of these, these things are connected. I think, again, in my opinion, very clearly, it's obvious 
that the Bidens and the Biden families got millions of dollars from the Chinese. Uh, and part of that money was spent so that they would back off the Chinese, not go after the Chinese, not investigate the Chinese, not say bad things about the Chinese, and not get in the way of the Chinese communist government. To this day, we don't know where the virus came from, but my guess is it came from that lab, it was militarized, and it got out. Because that's what's prone to happen, right? Murphy's Law. Uh, something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you can't have all of that kind of experimenting go on and not have it sneak out. So I think that's what happened. But that's what I wanted to, to discuss a little bit and ask you. You have a little time before they demand you mask up because after the masking up comes the next set of shots that you'll have to take. Now, the, the, one, uh, the one thing that's going to hold this off for a little bit anyway is uh, the fact that the Republicans run the House of Representatives and that's where the money would have to come from. So I can't imagine Jim Jordan and these other uh, uh, Republicans, rhinos and real Republicans, would authorize more money for another vaccine. I just can't imagine they would do it. Um, at least not do it with no caveats built into it. Like, okay, you can do the research to find a Because there could be a real vaccine. A real vaccine that works like traditional vaccines actually work, you know, against polio and all these other diseases. But apparently they take years and years and years of trials and testing and errors and human trials and animal trials. You don't come up with it really quick. Now, Trump came up with it really quick. He put it on super fast because we thought we were going to all die from this thing. And again, it's because I believe in the background, lots of people probably thought it was a military weapon that got out and it was meant to kill people. And if we don't do something fast... We're going to lose a lot of people. So when you put all these things together, um, you see it coming this time. Are you going to comply this time around? Are you going to shut your business again? Are you going to not go to work? Are you going to accept government cheese to comply so that they can manipulate the elections? Is that what they're going to do? Is that a conspiracy theory? Or is that based on a... Is, is that a... Um, a hypothesis based on experience. Well, if you had said this five years ago, there was no evidence whatsoever that the government would, would shut down the economy, would arrest people trying to run their businesses, would demand that you wear masks, would demand that you take shots that were experimental. They would demand that you they would shut down your church and you can't go to church. But you can protest out in the street. You can loot, burn, rob, and murder. You can do that. But you can't go to church. Five years ago, you never would have thought that was possible. And therefore, if you came up with an idea that they might do it again, it might be considered a conspiracy theory because there's no reason to think they would do a thing like that. How about today? So what's the old saying? If something has happened before, it's more likely it will happen again. So therefore, did anyone benefit from the shutdowns, from the compliance, from the demanding, from the uh, masking. Did anybody benefit from that? Well, yes. Big Pharma benefited very, very well. The politicians were given untold amounts of power over people to tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Literally, life and death issues. They had absolute and total control over you. They controlled your business. How many businesses went under? Because they shut them down. To this day, most of us are working from home now. The paradigm has changed. We can't find workers. 
Everybody's so used to getting a government check, they don't want to go to work. Things have really, really changed. So when I say, when I start to see the signs, when they start to talk about, okay, it's been long enough, everybody's been free, everybody's been back to church, everybody's been doing all this stuff, we have an election coming up. We need to take control of this. You start to see, put your mask on. Military people might have to mask up. You may have to be told to mask up when you go to work. And then comes the shot, the next set of shots that you have to take or you will not be allowed to participate in life. I, I think I covered that well enough for today. Uh, but think about it. You have a little bit of time. Talk, about your, talk to your family. Talk to your friends. Talk to your kids. Are you going to comply this time around? All right, so um, I, a couple of weeks ago, I had told you um, my cousin Stephen, a young guy, very healthy young guy, hardworking guy, good, decent fella, uh, married, couple of kids, and he tells me that he's having trouble sleeping. I said, what do you mean having trouble sleeping? He, he was one of these people that was just having trouble sleeping, would go to sleep, and then would wake up all the time and then, you know, wake up in the middle of the night, wide awake, then he's tired all day. That's not healthy. It's not safe. It's not good. Well, I start to see lots of people have this, this trouble sleeping. Now, the only time I ever had trouble sleeping was uh, my early days as a police officer when I was a uniformed patrol officer and I had to work midnights. You know, we worked uh, against the clock, two weeks against the clock. You did two weeks of midnights, then you switched two weeks of 3 to 11 shift, 3 in the afternoon to 11 at night. Then you switched to day shift, 7 in the morning till 3 o'clock. Well, that constant changing, all it did was ruin your sleep patterns. It took you two weeks to get into a pattern, and then you changed. And then I had a little trouble sleeping, you know, when I went from midnights to day shifts. That was weird. That changed when I became a detective, when I moved on, and I had a more stable um, working environment. But my cousin Stephen and many, many people like him have trouble sleeping. They, they just really can't stay asleep. And I, I was taking this Healthy Cell product, right? They're on the network here. Uh, I started taking it because I wanted to in increase my health during the COVID thing. I wanted to be stronger and healthier. So I figured, let me try it. It, it looks good. I researched it and I started taking the Healthy Cell. I bought some of it and I felt really good for the last bunch of years taking this stuff. Uh, Miss Kathy, my wife, she takes it. She feels better. Well, I, I didn't have to take the uh, REM sleep product for sleeping because I never had a problem, but I found out my cousin Stevie did and lots of people. So I bought some for him and he started taking. He told me it was great. So I know he's purchased it several times. He's re-upped it and I talked to him and he says he's sleeping really well. So I said, I want to get him on here to say something. So I recorded him. When I met him the other day, I, I was out and, out and about and I said, Stephen, you have to tell uh, my listeners about your experience with this stuff. So this is my cousin Stephen telling me about it. Let's see, where can I find him? He's in here somewhere. Give me one second. I think, I think this is him. Let me see. Is this him? Once there was magic. No, that's just a song. That's a silly song. I'm having a hard time finding it right now, and I don't want to bore you with it. But I can tell you, the Healthy Cell product is excellent. The REM sleep is good. And we're going to get the guy. I keep saying the fellows in the neighborhood are coming back, and they are. Um... But they've all been taking the focus factor because, you know, they're having some difficulties uh, and they're all telling me they're doing better on it. So I don't want to spend an hour on this, but I just want to tell you it is good stuff. I do like it and I take it. All right. So when we, we're going to take a break in a minute. And when we come back, 
couple of things I want to talk about. Uh, everyone's getting ready to go back to school. School is starting. The world is, is getting ready for all kinds of changes as we move through the calendar. Uh, we're going to start talking in the next, next couple of episodes. We're going to talk about school safety and security issues. Uh, we're going to talk about some things related to that. But one of the things um, that we saw recently was uh, at Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. There was a shooting on the campus, and uh, we didn't have much information. Uh, the police put out a picture of a person of interest, uh, a young Asian fella. Um, they didn't give a name, but they put his picture out that they were looking for this guy. So there was a lot of speculation at the time um, as to you know what, who was this guy, why did he go to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and why did he fire a weapon or whatever he did. They weren't telling you how many people. The telltale signs were you didn't see helicopters all over the place. You didn't see tons of ambulances. There were lots and lots of law enforcement there because you got a school shooting. Um, but you weren't seeing the telltale signs of a mass shooting where somebody went in and blatantly just, you know, gunned down as many people as they could and you got 10, 20, 30 people killed as we're used to seeing. It's become something we're used to seeing uh, on campuses and at businesses and all over the place. Well, they said um, they still have not really released a lot of information on what happened here. Uh, and I find it interesting that we haven't heard that yet. They say there's nobody else that they're looking for. Uh, but we don't know. Did this person have a relationship? There was a professor who was killed. Uh, was this person, there's rumor he was a grad student. He had gone there before. So that would make him somebody, a comeback guy. He comes back and, and hurts people at his university. Maybe he had a relationship with this person. We don't know. But... We're going to start talking about this more in the next couple of weeks as we all gear up and be ready because, you know, during COVID, uh, amazingly enough, in the couple of years while we were all shut down, the number of school shootings, legitimate shootings, legitimate school shootings where you have somebody targeting the school, either a student, you know, popping up in the school that goes there and hurting people or someone attacking the school specifically, not gangbangers in a neighborhood fighting with each other and they end up on school property. You know, that's where you see the statistics, 700 school shootings. Well, you know, no, that's crime in the neighborhood. It ends up on school property. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the legitimate uh, student pops up, pulls a gun out of a, a backpack or something and starts trying to you know, kill people or somebody, you know, smashes through the front door, like in uh, the Covenant School to get in and, uh, and try and hurt people. Um, so we're going to talk about that, and 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 I'm giving the statistic. When it comes to active shooters, the number have, has doubled. It used to be between 15 and 25, maybe 30 per year, legitimate school shootings. Well, in the COVID years, that went up. Uh, I think in 20, 2021, 2021, there were 61 school shootings, and I think 60 or 59 in 22. Now 2023. You know, we had an active uh, spring season. Now we're going to see what's going to happen the rest of the year. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Hopefully the the strangeness of, of all of that passes and it's a fad. Because we didn't have it prior to Columbine. There was a couple of instances where people killed people in schools, but it wasn't like it is now. So we're going to talk about that in episodes. And when we come back from our break, I want to talk a little bit about the Jacksonville shooter and the hate crime that he committed, where he targeted African-American people uh, specifically. So we'll talk about that when we come back in a minute. 
world-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flu, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news, liberty and justice for all. All right, welcome back, everybody. Right, so I want to talk a little bit about the Jacksonville, Florida shooter, uh, a deranged animal, a young white kid who went into a predominantly uh, African-American neighborhood, into an African-American store, predominantly African-American people went there, and he opened fire and he killed three people, three innocent people, three Americans, three of our brothers and sisters in our country. Now, this individual also died, but he left a manifesto. Now, we should be able to read that manifesto. We should hear the words of hate. We should hear what fueled the deaths of three innocent people. Uh, just like we should hear the Covenant school shooter, we should hear um, his uh, manifesto. Now, in the, in the case of the Covenant school, we still have not heard the manifesto. We haven't seen the manifesto. And I think it's obvious because uh, that shooter was a transgender person. And the manifesto that they wrote is probably all about transgender. Uh, and it would make the transgender community look bad. So therefore, no one is going to release it. Uh, and, and, you know, it doesn't reflect on the entire transgender community. Not everybody in that community wants to go in and kill people in a school. That's a fallacy. That's a bad thought. Uh, and if we don't review that manifesto, then we're giving in to that belief that, well, they must all be like that. And they're not. They're just people trying to find their way in the world. You can agree with them, not agree with them. Uh, but the reality is they're just people. They're trying to find their way in the world. All right. And they have a different way of looking at things. But that manifesto 
can tell us a lot about what was going on in that person's mind. Why? Why? Is it just, uh, is it just voyeurism? We want to look into their head. Why do they want to go kill school children? No, because understanding their motivations, what moved them to the violence, can give us cues and, th and things we should be looking for in other people to figure out when we hear things that they say, things that they write, things that they post, uh, comments they make at school or at work or to friends. We can use that knowledge of what motivated somebody to act out in such a horrific way to help us prevent the next one. So what was, the, what was that one guy's name? I think his name Dylan. I think I remember Dylan. Um, not the Bud Light guy, Dylan. The, the, the Dylan, and I can't remember his last name, and good, because he's a killer. I don't care. He went into the church, and he killed um, eight or ten African-American people who were in church to pray. And this animal went in there, sat there during the service, and then pulled the gun and, and killed him and said he, he wanted to kill African-American people. Well, now we have we had the guy in, uh, um, in Buffalo who went in the food store to kill African-American people. So when you hear these stories, you say, wow, there must, be, there must be so much of this going on. And there's really not. There's really not uh, this overwhelming attacks on African-Americans just because they're African-American. People want to kill them. But you do have some psychopaths that just like some psychopaths target redheaded women, uh, some psychopaths target uh, African-Americans. And it, it's, no matter what it is, it's an abomination. And we need to understand all we can about these people so that we can look for the next one who's hiding in the weeds, ready to attack, right? doesn't matter what it is. Um, but the guy in Jacksonville has a manifesto that we haven't heard from yet. And we need to hear these things. All of us need to, because you know what? How did they catch Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber? He had a manifesto. Because a lot of people with these deep-seated uh, hatreds and angers and, and things that they want to do violently, they write that stuff down. Um, you know, and as their beliefs, because their beliefs are correct and they understand some. Well, the reality is they put his manifesto out and his brother recognized his writing and said, that sounds like my brother, Ted. He lives in a cabin. He's a psycho. And they went and found him. And it was Ted Kaczynski. He was the Unabomber because of his writing. See, to get it, connect the dots. So if there's a manifesto out there, whether it be from the Covenant a school shooter, whatever his manifesto is, or the shooter here that attacked uh, the people in Jacksonville, we should be able to hear the words that they wrote. What were they thinking? What precursors did they did did, did they did they join groups? What groups did they join? Um, what posts did they make? Why were they so obsessed with what they were doing that they would target certain groups of people and go after them? All right. So I think that's um, an important thing for us to do as a society. Uh, to find out how we prevent, prevent the next one. So a couple, uh, couple of things. You know, I don't like to dwell on negative stuff, but uh, let's talk about some people who pass, passed away very recently. Now, I don't always do the movie star thing unless, of course, the person was, uh, you know, really influential on all of our lives, positively uh, made a big difference, you know. Well, recently there's a, there's a guy like that, uh, Bob Barker. Remember Bob Barker? The price is right and truth or consequences, God, guy. So uh, you see all these people saying, well, every time I skipped school, I stayed home and I watched it because his game shows were on in the middle of the day, right? And unless you, and you were in school, you never saw that. 
But I thought about it. I said, you know, you're right. When I, when I was sick, when I was a kid, I'd stay home. My mother would give me some chicken soup or a turkey sandwich or something. And I watched the game shows. And one of the ones I watched was Bob Barker. And I always liked him. He seemed like a nice man. Um, he was in the Adam Sandler movie, uh, Billy Madison. He played a guy, you know, uh, was a golfer. And uh, <laughs> Bob Barker was in the movie. Uh, he had a hysterical role. Well, he just passed away from, he was born in 1923, and he died in 2023. He was 99. He didn't quite get to his birthday, um, but he was an amazing American, and we mention him. Uh, I want to mention a personal friend of mine, a personal friend of mine, and I'll tell you a little story about him. Uh, when I became a police officer, I went in, and I met, I didn't live in the town or grow up in the town where I became an officer. And I went in there and I met all these different people and, you know, it was pretty good. Everybody was connected. There was rivalries, of course, you know, there was positions people wanted and you tried to jockey for those positions. But uh, this one man I had met, he was a detective when I got there. When I came on, he was already a detective and his name was Ken Kennedy. Now, Ken was an unassuming kind of a guy. Um, he was a very, very good detective. Um, he was a very, very nice person. There's nobody in the department that had a bad word to say about Ken, which is unusual because, you know, there's usually sects and groups and, you know, cliques in every kind of an organization. Uh, but Ken was a guy who, who got along with everybody. And the reason there were no cliques that he wasn't a part of was because Ken wasn't looking to compete with you for anything. He just did his job and he didn't worry about getting promoted or being whatever. He was a detective, and he loved being a detective, so he just did detecting. Um, but it was an interesting story because uh, when well, I went to the detective bureau, it, it, was, it was an old-time detective bureau. So you had um, a close-knit group of people in the community, in the town. And basically, if you were connected in the town, you got a uh, you got a public job. You were in the road department, or you worked for the tax office, or you worked in town hall, or you became a cop or a fireman or whatever. Because people knew you, they knew your families, and, and that's how people got in the jobs. Well, in the detective bureau, um, what they had we used to call it the old boys network, because if you if you were connected enough to get a job as a cop, but then you were really connected at the next level. They might put you in the detective bureau or the traffic bureau or the administration bureau where basically instead of pushing a radio car, working midnight shifts, working weekends, working holidays, you worked a much better schedule. You worked a nine to five, probably Monday through Friday. You had weekends off. Uh, as a detective, you had all the benefits of being a detective, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, and Ken, Ken was a detective and I don't know his connection to everybody. He was from town. But like everybody at the time, they were all from town, right? Everybody in the PD. When they started bringing in outside people like myself um, and a couple other officers who didn't live in town, uh, that was because the chief at the time had been the chief under such unprecedented growth in the community. Um, we had lots of farmland on one side of town and we had uh, bedroom communities on the other. And over the course of time in the late 70s, early 80s, you started to see a growth of, uh, we had a huge shopping mall when malls became the big thing to do, right? They put in a huge mall in our town. Uh, and of course that brought thousands and thousands of people to the town every day. Well, they needed more police officers. 
So they hired more officers. The department went from, I don't know, 35 or 40 cops to 75 or 80 within a couple of years. You know, it, it just grew that much. Then all the farmland started to be developed and they put up um, up and down the highway there were strip malls and there was restaurants and apartment buildings high-end apartment built then they started putting in um, really high-end housing you know McMansions entire neighborhoods of McMansions and it was a nice community had good schools uh, it was close to everything. You were, were an hour away from Philly, an hour away from New York. So you were a suburban person. You could work in either of those places. There was trains connected. Um, entertainment was by, it was it was ideally suited for growth, and it did grow and it grew exponentially. So by the time I got there, uh, the chief of police who had been there for a very very long time saw it go from a rural community to a uh, a very bustling. Uh, high-end um, suburban community, and he hired lots and lots of cops. And I, I think it was his understanding that, hey, listen, we can't just hire you know local people that know somebody. We have to start expanding so that we get different kinds of people, different officers, men, women, uh, all different races of people. We have to really expand what we're doing here. We're no longer a close, uh, closed community, really. And they did. That's how I got the job. I wasn't from there. Um, I didn't know the area very well, uh, but I came in with with my skill set and I got hired. Um, but anyway, uh, there was a bunch of people like me that got hired in department change. And Ken had been in the bureau, and he, like I said, he was a good detective. He wasn't a guy that that shirked work. He wasn't a guy that was like, "Hey, I got it made. I'm a detective. I don't have to do nothing." He actually did work. Uh, he was a good guy. And when it came time uh, for me to move into the detective bureau, there was a there's a process like there always is. And I went through the process, and I was chosen. And I think I've told you the process in the past. You go back and look at other episodes I talked about um, about it. But anyway, I get picked this time, and I get to be in the detective bureau, which is my dream job. This is what I really wanted to do. I wanted to be a detective. Uh, and they, they put me in the bureau. So what you did is you worked with a group. I think there was 10, 10 or 12 of us with supervisors. Uh, we had an adult section, major crime section, and we had a section that handled juvenile crimes. And you would work, you know, various shifts, seven days a week. We had uh, detectives on the weekends. We had detectives every day of the week. The more senior you were, you got the weekends off, right? So Ken was a guy with weekends off, which means he worked all week. Uh, I was a junior guy, so I think I had, I don't know, Wednesday and Thursday off. And then I worked all weekend, whatever. But on that Monday and Tuesday, in my first couple of weeks uh, in the detective bureau, um, I'm in, I'm in the office, and my desk was right across from Ken, and we didn't know each other very well. I didn't know him when I was a patrolman because he was a detective, and we didn't really, our paths didn't cross. We weren't friendly with each other. Uh, we weren't negative. You know, we saw each other at PBA meetings, but we never hung out. And I got the distinct feeling that I wasn't Ken's choice. Like, because what they do is they, they would... Um, they would poll all the detectives. Hey, listen, here's the candidates that we think might apply for the position. Is there a consensus? Does anybody think somebody is really good or not good? We should bring them or not bring them. And the detectives would give their opinion on the candidates. And then the, the leadership would make their decisions through the process. But I knew that I wasn't Ken's choice. The person that Ken wanted to come in was somebody he knew for a really long time, a guy from town, uh, that he was friendly with, and he wanted that guy to come into the bureau because it was a better lifestyle. He would know the guy. The families knew each other. I get it. I get it, you know. But that wasn't to be. It was my time. 
uh, my opportunity, and I became a detective. So here I am working with Ken um, a couple nights a week, two nights a week. Uh, we're in the office together, and yeah, I went on a couple of things with him. He needed a second, and I went, and he was professional enough. Um, but I always got this feeling that he just really wished his buddy got the job. So I'm realizing that I need to learn from this guy. And I need to have a relationship with him that is simply not, you know, I'm here, you didn't want me here, too bad I'm here. It, it had to go beyond that for me to be effective in what I was going to do. So I remember sitting there one night and Ken was working at his desk and I'm working at mine. It's probably like 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. We both had already had our dinners and we're doing some paperwork. And I said, hey, Ken, can I talk to you for a minute? And he goes, uh, he goes yeah, what? What's up? I said, listen, um, uh, I don't know how else to say this, but uh, I know I probably wasn't your pick to come in here, to take this spot. I know I'm probably not the guy you wanted to come in here. And he didn't say, no, 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 of course not. You're, you're good. No, he just, he just kind of looked at me. There was a little resignation in his face that, yeah, that's correct. Uh, I wanted the other guy. I said, and I understand that. I said, but here's the deal. Um, I got the spot. I'm here. And you are an excellent, um, experienced detective. And I really need to learn from you. And I'm hoping that we can get over this because we're going to be partners. We're going to work on cases together. And I really hope we can get beyond that unfortunate fact that you didn't want me here. And I could just see the look on his face that I don't think anybody ever said anything like that to him. And he, he, just, he just looked at me for a minute and then I saw this smile come over his face and he kind of like bobbed his head. He goes, yep. He goes, well, you're right. And, uh, and I'm really sorry uh, that I haven't been more forthcoming and try to help you along and try and guide you however I can. Uh, I'm really sorry about that. Um, but I'm glad you're here. You're experienced. You're good at what you do. And I think you'll be a great detective and I'll help you any way that I can. And that was a breakthrough. It was really awesome. And uh, from that moment on, from that moment on, uh, Ken and I were, we were not best friends, but we got along like best friends. We got along at work. When we would go out to uh, PBA functions, you know, we would sit at the same table. Well, we're detectives, right? We knew each other. Um, that whole awkwardness was gone, and he was, he was a great guy. Well, over the course of time, uh, as things leveled out, you had me, you had my partner Chuck, you had my partner Jeffrey. We started bringing in a lot of uh, young guns, so to speak, aggressive, uh, new world kind of cops that saw the world differently, um, as uh, not so much the old timers who just kind of like went to the bureaus because it was a place to you know hang out. And uh, and Ken says, "Listen, you know, uh, I'm not doing search warrant like, like you guys. I'm not running around like you guys, but." I'll do whatever I can to help this team. What do you need me to do? And we said, Ken, we need a really good evidence guy. And I'm telling you, he was meticulous, meticulous with evidence. We, would, we went on, you know, raids every week, uh, whether it was economic crime, drugs, uh, assaults, whatever. And we would get tons and tons of evidence, paperwork, reams of paperwork, all kinds of stuff. And Ken would meticulously go through it document it, photograph it, log it away, write a beautiful report about the evidence. He was an excellent, excellent guy. He found his niche with the, with the new team. Uh, and he was really a good guy. And we shared some, some funny moments that I can't go into here, but we shared some funny moments over the course of years. Well, unfortunately, uh, very recently, um, 
Ken was diagnosed with a, a cancer that he had fought for like 20 years. He beat it down, then it came back, and he beat it down, and it came back. Well, it came back with a vengeance uh, not too long ago, uh, and it really ripped through his body this time. They couldn't really prevent it, and unfortunately, he passed um, very quickly. Uh, once it, it got to the point, there was like no slowing it down, and he recently passed away. And he was a good man. He was a good guy. He was a great detective. And I want to remember him here uh, as that, as a, as a good person for his community, a decent human being, a good father, husband, friend, uh, and detective, Ken Kennedy. So rest in peace, Ken. All right, so other people that I, I wanted to talk about. We talked about Bob Barker now. We talked about Ken. Um, another guy you probably heard of just recently passed away. He was in the news going back to the Obama administration. This was Joe the Plumber. Remember Joe the Plumber, the guy that jumped up and asked questions? Um, and he, he, he was, you know, like a celebrity for a while. He's just a regular kind of guy. He's a plumber, and he's asking this Obama guy questions. Well, Joe the Plumber, I think he was only 50 in his 50s, and he just died recently. And he was, he was iconic in uh, – he's part of the history of American – politics and the rise of, of Obama and all that happened there. You're always going to hear forever about Joe the plumber. And unfortunately, he, uh, he developed a very fast-spreading pancreatic cancer, which is one of the most evil cancers that there is. Um, and it took him out pretty quick. So I want to remember Joe the plumber because uh, he was trying to do the right thing, ask a question. And he was, in, he was in the lexicon of American life. All right. Um, so yeah, those are the three I want to talk about for right now. I think I might make this a regular feature. If there's somebody I think of that I want to talk about, I will. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so don't wear, don't wear a mask. Wear a mask. Whatever you're going you're gonna to have to decide pretty soon. So are hurricanes worse now than they were ever historically? Is climate change real? Is climate change created by you for driving a pickup truck or an SUV or going on a jet? Is climate change a real thing that we, now we have worse hurricanes than we've ha ever had in our history? We have worse storms, more violent than we've ever had? Well, let's, let's look at it this way. I think if we just look at it in our own life experience, in our own lifetime, um, you might say, wow, the hur you know, Hurricane Katrina was pretty bad. Uh, Superstorm Sandy was, was pretty bad. Um, has there ever been storms like that before? Well, I think if you look historically, since we've been keeping record for, what, 200 years? Uh, we've been around here, and the planet's been around a lot longer than that. But we've been keeping track for a couple hundred years. And uh, there was uh, Hurricane Camille in the 60s, devastating, right? There was, there was huge uh, hurricanes in the 80s that wiped things out. Um, so is climate change real? Well, um, yes, climate change is real, okay? So let's, uh, if, we, if we broaden our, our horizons, broaden our experience, our thoughts, uh, the data that we use to make this comparison, if I was to say from this year to last year, are the hurricanes worse? Well, I don't, I don't think there's much difference between last year and this year. You know, every year we hear it's going to be the most horrific hurricane season we've ever had. Millions are going to die. Millions in property. And then you have like two hurricanes that are bad, uh, mildly bad. You know, not, not as, not, they don't meet the expectations of the doomsayers. And then every once in a while you get a Superstorm Sandy 
or you get a Katrina or a Hugo or one of these gigantic storms that, that really causes immense damage. So that's a perspective of one year. Well, let's go back 100 years. In that 100-year period, were there hurricanes as bad as Katrina, as bad as Hugo, as bad as um, Superstorm Sandy? Those are the ones in our lifetime, in our perspective. How about Camille, right? Go back there. So I think if you take a 100-year swath of time, you can say, mm, there's been bad ones a lot. A lot of the climate change that causes hurricanes to be worse is because you have warmer seawater. See, because the world's it's, it's warming, it's warming, that's why. Well, um, it's really got a lot to do with the sun. When the sun, sun goes through an 11-year cycle, right, of sunspots, it's, it's a very regulated uh, uh, nuclear uh, engine that's going on in the sun. And sometimes it heats up and sometimes it cools down. And that has a great effect on our weather. So if we just look at 100 years, we could say, okay, it's about the same. 200 years when they started keeping records, there was probably some really bad ones, but we didn't have the population centers that we have now. We didn't have all these people living on the coast. A big storm might have come through, but there was nobody there to see it. There was no cameras. There was no Jim Cantori showing up, right, and getting blown out of, the, blown out of his socks while he's talking about it. But that's only 200 years. Let's spin the time dial here, and now let's go back 12,000 years ago. 12,000 years ago, uh, if you were in the Northeast, across the Midwest, the Northern Pacific, uh, there was two miles of ice above your head, right? Because we had gone through an extended cooling period. Now, there were no SUVs back then. Uh, there was no uh, human-based uh, carbon pollution back then. We had an ice age. Now, scientists will tell you, you know, follow the science. Scientists will tell you that about every 70,000 years, we go through a cooling period where we have an ice age. You know, they can document these going back. Uh, and then there's a warming period when those uh, ice sheets recede. Well, the last one that was above our heads... Uh, was about 12,000 years ago. And as it receded, it created things like, oh, I don't know, the Great Lakes, right? Um, Niagara Falls, as it peeled back, and it peeled back to the point where it gets to the, to the northern part of the, of the planet, and we still see ice sheets, because that's as far as it got, because of the temperatures that are around there. So if we use the perspective of 12,000 years ago, it has been warming constantly since 12,000 years ago because that two miles of ice over my head here in New Jersey, that's melted and gone, right? So yeah, yeah, it's definitely gotten warmer. I think it does. I think the planet goes through cycles. Um, in the Middle Ages, I think, I'm, and I, I probably got this wrong, so I think it's like the 1500s, they had what they called the Little Ice Age in Europe. They had uh, 10, 12 years of very, very harsh winters very short summers, very short growing times. The crops didn't do well, and then that passed. Now, could that have been uh, related to a sun cycle, that maybe that sun cycle happens every 50,000 years, and we weren't here for the last one, so we didn't know it happened? But in you know another 48,000 years, we might have the same thing. Are we going to eventually turn around at some point and start moving towards another ice age? 
because scientists will tell us about every 70,000 years we have an ice age. So there's lots of reasons for that. That can be, you know, as we go around, picture yourselves, right? You know how the moon goes around the Earth? Well, the Earth goes around the entire Milky Way galaxy, but it kind of goes on and up and down as it goes around. It goes up and down across the plane of the galaxy. And I'm hoping I'm not driving you crazy with this, but if you think about that, as it goes around, um, I think they said it takes us, it's 100,000 years if we went straight across the galaxy at the speed of light, 100,000 years. That's how big this place is. Um, I think it takes 22 million years or 220 million years for us to go around one time. Well, if it's every 220 million years and we've been here for 3.5 billion, I think they said we've been around 22 or 23 times. That's it. We've circled the, the entire galaxy, our, our planet, our solar system here. So maybe every 50,000 years, we go up on the plane and we come back down and we have an ice age. Who knows? So climate change is real. It is real. Pollution is real. Pollution is bad. It's bad to have pollution, dirty water, dirty air. Um, but taking away uh, the things that provide us with the power and the energy we need are not appropriate. Uh, because we don't have anything better, and we've talked about that. So is climate change real? Yes, it is. Is it making the hurricanes worse? I think that's a perspective thing. We only have so much data to work with. Um, the water is very warm in the Gulf this year and in the Caribbean, uh, so maybe that caused some of the storms. So let's get more data. Let's not just run and destroy our lives and everything else, because what would that be? That's really just a mask. It's a way to control you. Whispers of control. We talked about that, didn't we? All right, my friends, a lot to think about here, a lot to, lot to do. <laughs> Excuse me. God bless everybody out there um, and all those people that we lost. So this is uh, Lieutenant Joe saying, hey, remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We'll be back soon.